Welcome to Living Well with Dr. Peg, where psychologist Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark explores a variety of mental health, wellness, and safety topics and shares biblically-based psychological strategies for living well and staying safe. Now, here is your host of Living Well with Dr. Peg, Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Living Well with Dr. Peg. I'm Dr. Peggy Mitchell Clark, and um, it's kind of a sad day today. Uh, We're experiencing tragedy all around us. Last night in Thornton, Colorado, near Denver, a man entered a Walmart and shot and killed three people, and he's now in custody, but we're left with many unanswered questions about his motive. Why did he do this heinous act? And as you know, on Tuesday, terror once again struck New York City when a man drove a rented truck onto a bike path plowing down bicyclists and pedestrians, hitting a school bus, and ultimately killing eight and injuring 11 people. And meanwhile, there's still so many unanswered questions surrounding the Las Vegas shooting, which has been called the deadliest shooting in U.S. history. And as we ponder the questions of why and how and will this happen again and where, uh, there is a lot we can learn by examining the deadliest campus shooting in U.S. history. My guest today is Lisa Hamp, who survived the Virginia Tech tragedy 10 years ago, where 32 people were killed and many others injured. And Lisa will talk about the sometimes overlooked psychological wounds of those who witnessed the shooting but were uninjured, and recount how she and her computer science classmates in Norris Hall narrowly escaped with their lives on April 16, 2007. I also have with me today safety expert and president of SSI Guardian, Michael Yorio, who will talk about the terror attack in New York City and give us some guidance on public safety awareness and preparedness. You can join our conversation today by calling 303-477-5600. Give us a call if you have a question for Lisa Hamp or Michael Yorio. Again, that number is 303-477-5600. But First Living Well with Dr. Peg is coming to you from Denver, Colorado on KLZ 560 AM and streaming live online from drpegradio.com. And the show's brought to you every week by our sponsor, SSI Guardian, who set the new standard in advanced safety education and training. Go to ssiguardian.com for information on advanced active shooter response training, safety and security products, services, and solutions. So timely uh, in the environment in which we're living today. And if you're feeling stuck and ready for change, register for my Do Something Different for a Change personal transformation retreat in Denver on Saturday, December 30th, 2017. Space is limited, so go to drpegradio.com retreat to register today. And if you love to walk, run, have fun, or eat pie, you're running out of time to register for the Pumpkin Pie 5K and 10K race in Denver on Saturday, November 18th, and you can join my team, Living Well with Dr. Peg, and get a huge piece of pumpkin pie at the finish line, as well as a race t-shirt and finisher's medal. Go to drpegradio.com pumpkin and click the Join a Team button, select my team, Living Well with Dr. Peg, from the drop-down menu, and register today. Again, that's drpegradio.com pumpkin to register. Well, we here in Denver were in shock last night when we heard the news that there was a shooting at a local Walmart. Three people were shot and killed, and thankfully the suspect is in custody 
as of this morning, and we don't yet know his motive, but it's not believed to be a terror attack. Uh, however, on Tuesday, there was a terror attack in New York City. A man driving a rented truck plowed into bicyclists and pedestrians and smashed into a school bus, killing eight people and injuring 11. And all of this, and we're still reeling from the mass shooting in Las Vegas, which is considered the deadliest mass shooting in U.S. history. And our prayers go out to all of the victims of these attacks and the families of those who were killed. Surviving a terror attack or mass shooting has, I'm sure, got to be the most traumatic things that could happen to a person. And I've done shows on post-traumatic stress disorder and trauma recovery. And you can listen to those programs in my pro program archives at drpegradio.com. But one thing that often gets lost when we discuss these kinds of attacks is a discussion of the physically uninjured survivors. And we're going to talk about the recent attacks and shootings and how to increase safety and awareness today, as well as those survivors who are physically uninjured, but who carry the sometimes invisible psychological wounds. And I'm pleased to welcome two knowledgeable guests to today's program, Michael Yorio and Lisa Hamp. Michael Yorio is the president of SSI Guardian, a full-service safety and security company that takes a comprehensive approach to address all facets of security for K-12 schools, higher ed, hospitals, as well as the hospitality and transportation industries. Michael Yorio, thanks so much for joining us today. Welcome to the program. Hey, Dr. Peggy, great to be back on your show. Thanks so much. It's always a pleasure to have you on as a regular guest of the Living Well with Dr. Pegg show. I'm also pleased to have Lisa Hamp on the program today with you. And Lisa Hamp is a survivor of the Virginia Tech campus shooting in 2010 and an advocate and speaker who's passionate about improving school safety by educating students, teachers, and faculty on what to do before help arrives and encouraging others who have experienced trauma. Lisa Hamp, thanks so much for joining us today as well, and welcome to the program. Hi, Dr. Peggy. Thanks for having me as oh, well. It's wonderful to have you. I heard you speak at a, a conference recently, and I'm just uh, grateful that you're willing to share, I'm, I know, a painful story, but you can educate so many folks today. Thanks so much. You're welcome. Well, Michael, I want to start with you first, uh, because between the time when I confirmed having Lisa on the program to talk about the Virginia Tech shooting and we were going to talk about La Las Vegas, there have been other targeted attacks of violence and terror attacks since just in the last couple of days. Uh, and last night, a shooting right here in the Denver area. And it seems like these attacks are just happening almost every week. Uh, is, is, it, is it true that the, the numbers of these attacks really is on the rise, terror attacks, active shootings, or, or does it just seem that way? So according to the statistics, Dr. Peggy, these trends, uh, the, these events, unfortunately, are trending upwards. Um, now, one can make the argument that we are much more connected in 2017 than years past. Uh, we get news almost instantaneously. Uh, with several alerts and, 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 and so forth. So these events have been going on for decades, quite frankly. Um, but back in the day, we just didn't hear about them as often. But with that said, again, just going by the numbers, and the numbers do not lie, um, these events are happening more and more frequently. And you mentioned, you know, in the past couple of days, we've had numerous. If you look at the past 30 days, there's, there's been violent incidents in public gatherings, spaces, at concerts, in schools, uh, in, in various places, and last night at a Walmart. So 
one of the things that we stress with everybody is the need for heightened public awareness training. Mm. And one thing we talk about quite often is individual responsibility. So we are uh, under the presumption that, you know what, I got it. We have great police in in our community. They do a fantastic job. They are here to protect me. Uh, If we're in a school, we, we place trust in our school leaders. If we're in the workplace, we place trust in our corporate leaders. Uh, but quite frankly, all of us as individuals, we are responsible for our own safety and well-being. Uh, so there's this thing in the safety industry called bad time. And bad time is defined as the time period from the start of an incident, any violent incident, until law enforcement is able to arrive and take out that threat. So those actions, your individual actions during that bad time, converting bad time into good time often mean the difference in surviving a violent threat or not. Mm-hmm. And we're going to hear from Lisa Hamp, who did survive the Virginia Tech uh, shooting uh, 10 years ago. And um, I'm, I know she can definitely attest to what you're saying. Uh, before we hear Lisa's story of how she did survive that bad time, Michael, uh, what are some of the things that we do need to do to respond in a targeted attack, an active shooter, or even, um, you know, we're seeing now uh, cars and vehicles and trucks being used as weapons? What are, what are the things we need to be aware of in order to respond and increase the likelihood we can survive? So it all truly starts with having a plan and being preemptive, improving your pre- level of preparedness. So and, instead of waiting until something bad happens, planning for something bad to happen. And we don't want to make people paranoid, but as we see, these, these events continue to happen in, in a myriad of different places. So we talk a lot about being situationally aware. So what that means is know where your exits are, be aware of your surroundings. One common mistake that most individuals make now with the advent of, of smartphones and technology, that those great headsets that we love to deliver our favorite music to our ears can also be a deterrent and and can distract us. We're not paying attention. We're listening to our music. We're really not paying attention to our surroundings. So you may want to rethink that when you're in certain spaces about foregoing the music. Um, Texting and phone usage, the same can be said. Don't be distracted. We know there are many incidents people are texting while they're crossing the street and an accident happens. So always being aware always being aware of your surroundings, and then also always being aware of the behavior of those around you. So, for example, and of course this is speculation, but using the NYC attack as an example, and, and I wasn't there, but maybe the, maybe the driver accelerated and there was a burst of engine that maybe somebody heard, and if had they looked, maybe they could have got out of the way in the last split second. Now, we don't know that, and that is speculation, but the point being is, Always, always, always being aware of your surroundings, wherever you may be, Mm -hmm. at home, at school, at work, in a public gathering space. Absolutely. And so that's just good advice for anyone. And, of course, our our prayers and our hearts go out to those folks who lost their lives and were injured in New York City. Um, But that's certainly something that we all should be aware of as we're walking, as we're riding our bikes and even driving in our cars to make sure that we can hear, we can see around us so that we can be responsive to changes in our environment. And so that's that's a matter of situational awareness. Um, there's something else um, known as mental imaging, Michael, um, and I'll share a story from uh, the news that I saw last night locally. There was a woman who uh, escaped Walmart last night. She um, 
heard what a lot of witnesses were saying sounded like firecrackers, balloons popping, and um, people tend to move towards those sounds to figure out what's going on. But she heard those sounds, assumed it was gunfire, and she um, ran out of the store out of a back exit, a, an employee exit. Most people were trying to run out of the front door through which they entered the store. And we all have a tendency to do that, to think about e exiting from the same door in, uh, through which we entered. Uh, but situational awareness and mental imaging is also about knowing where your exits are and thinking through, if, I, if something were to happen, what would I do? Uh, the, the reporter who interviewed this woman on the news was saying, wow, your instincts were great that you, you know, ran out that back door. Uh, but really, it's about thinking about it in advance and having a plan for any store that we enter, isn't it, Michael? It absolutely is, and, and you're, you're speaking directly to my point. Being prepared, don't wait until something bad happens. Um, this lady's actions um, tell me that she probably had some semblance of training. She had thought about this before. She had mental image this scenario. And you're absolutely right. A common mistake people make, especially at a store, at a shopping mall, run to the main exit. And you don't want to do that. Everybody running to one exit creates a choke point. Uh, you could be trampled. There could be an additional threat there. Or if you run out the back entrance, every store in America at a mall has a back entrance that they use for deliveries. And I believe it's fire code. So whatever store you're in front of, you run straight out the back of that door as this lady did in Walmart. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so we're really looking at uh, evacuating, uh, if possible, moving away from the threat. Uh, when we look at the video from Las Vegas, we see uh, there's some people who they hear the popping, they hear what they believe is gunfire, and they begin to immediately just move away from that threat where there were also some people who, who didn't move at all initially. Um, and witnesses at the Walmart uh, here near Denver also said they were scared and just laid low on the ground. Uh, what can we do in a situation like that in a large venue, in a large store, where it, we're not exactly sure where the sounds are coming from? Should we evacuate? Should we hide out? What, which, what, what are our options? Great question. Every situation is unique and different. Um, obviously, if you can determine the direction of the gunfire, you want to evacuate away from that sound. Um, trained operators, trained law enforcement are trained to run towards the sound of gunfire uh, versus if you're not one of those professionals, then you do want to run away from that. Um, if you have a safe hiding place near you uh, that is concealed, concrete wall, something like that, then you may consider hiding out, locking down. Um, these are tough decisions. They're made in a split second, and every situation is unique and different. Mm -hmm. And why, again, advanced training is so important so that you can understand these basic concepts and basic options, but then being um, encouraged to go out and mental image your workplace, your school, your church, your supermarket, and whenever we enter into some new space, to think it through. What would I do if? It's unfortunate, Michael, that we have to think like that, but it's better to be prepared. It's always better to be prepared. It's better to be over-prepared than not prepared. Um, as DHS says, and we're proud partners with Department of Homeland Security with their See Something, Say Something campaign, um, it sounds like a cliche, but it's very simple and it makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. So maybe somebody, and we don't know this, maybe somebody saw something, whether in Vegas, at Walmart in Thornton, or in NYC, 
that had they said something, maybe these events could have been prevented. Now, we don't know that, but always being alert. Always alert, because as you said, ultimately it's our responsibility to stay safe and to respond. And there may be a lag time before law enforcement arrives. And Lisa Hamp, uh, one of the things you want to share with our listeners is what to do before help arrives. Uh, In fact, you and your classmates uh, fought for a harrowing 12 minutes to survive the shooting at Virginia Tech 10 years ago, awaiting law enforcement uh, response. Lisa, are you there? You may have lost her. (laughs) Well, we'll try to get back with Lisa. Hi, Lisa. Yes, we did. Sorry, Peggy. No problem, Lisa. That's fine. (laughs) You were probably talking and we didn't hear you. But we're going to be taking a break uh, in just about a moment, um, a minute. Uh, But really, one of the messages that you're passionate about sharing is how we can take responsibility for our safety and encouraging um, folks on what to do before law enforcement help arrives. Yes, that is correct. Um, Because there will always be a time gap between the first gunshot and when law enforcement gets there. So you'll have to take action for yourself. Absolutely. Well, we're going to hear your story uh, when we return from our break. Uh, It was, in fact, just two weeks after your 21st birthday and you were sitting in class when you heard that unfamiliar popping sound that we often hear witnesses describe here in in the Denver area at the Walmart last night, they described it as it sounded like firecrackers, sounded like balloons popping. Folks weren't sure what they were hearing, but it very quickly became apparent what that horrible sound is that we don't want to hear. So like the shoppers in Walmart, um, you were had to take responsibility awaiting law enforcement We'll hear your story, Lisa Hamp, when we return from the break. I'm Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark, and this is Living Well with Dr. Peg. My guests today are Michael Yorio, president of SSI Guardian, and Lisa Hamp, who survived the Virginia Tech shooting 10 years ago. We'll hear more from Lisa and Michael when we return. Stay with us. We'll be back. Are you prepared for a sudden cardiac arrest? Having an AED is simply not enough. School athletic coaches are required to have CPR and AED training, but they can only save a life with properly functioning and maintained equipment. Maintain compliance and reduce your liability with AED program management from SSI Guardian. Buy an AED and receive a two-year management program for free. Call us today at 877-878-5800 or visit us at SSIGuardian.com. You can learn a lot about yourself and God from a dog. When her children asked for a dog, this mom got them gerbils. So imagine their surprise and hers when she adopted an abandoned dog that she met in Dallas, Texas, just one day after her divorce. In a way that only God could orchestrate, her spur of the moment decision to take in a little dog she named Dallas was just the beginning of a seven year journey that transformed her life and taught her to see herself and God in a whole new light. Read Doggy Tales, lessons on life, love, and loss I learned from my dog, a delightful and heartwarming book by psychologist Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark. Part memoir, part Christian inspiration, Doggy Tales is a must read for anyone who wants to learn to recognize God's voice, even in the most unlikely places. You'll laugh, you'll cry, and you'll love Doggy Tales. Go to drpegradio.com books to purchase your copy today. 
Threats at our schools and workplace continue at an alarming rate and require an innovative approach to overall institutional safety. A 21st century safe school needs the right training, the right equipment, and the correct action plan to achieve a future-ready, safe learning environment. SSI Guardian's comprehensive, evidence-based solutions and Tier 1 Security Consulting is the only active shooter training in America with an accredited CEU. Don't trust your safety to just anyone. SSI Guardian is the only choice. Visit us at SSIGuardian.com. Hey. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark, and you're listening to Living Well with Dr. Peg. My guests today are Michael Yorio with SSI Guardian and Lisa Hamp, who survived the Virginia Tech shooting back in 2007. Well, thanks so much for both being with us today. Michael, how can listeners uh, connect with you and learn more about SSI Guardian? The easiest way is visiting our website, SSIGuardian.com. And for any of the listeners out there today, they can call me direct. And this is a bold move. I'm advised not to do it, but I'm going to give out my cell phone. (laughs) Area code 202-676-7166. Thanks, Michael. And Lisa Hamp, thanks so much for being with us today, and we're going to hear your story. Uh, how can least listeners uh, connect with you? Yes, um, there's two options. One, you can go to my website, which is lisahamp.com, and then others, um, listeners can email me, and my email address is lisahamp at vt.edu. Excellent. Thanks so much. And I'll have links on my website for you to connect with both Michael Yorio and Lisa Hamp. Or if you want to share today's interview with a friend or family member, go to drpegradio.com. Well, Lisa, uh, thanks so much for being willing to share your story. And and we know that um, the Virginia Tech anniversary was 10 years ago uh, in April. And um, you were sitting in class when you heard that um, unfamiliar popping sound that many witnesses describe. Uh, What went through your head when you started hearing those noises? Uh, so I don't come from a military family or a hunting family, so I'm not familiar with the, the sound of gunshots. Um, so it it felt like something was wrong, but um, I, I knew that guns didn't belong in school, so I was really confused. I was like, it sounds like guns, but they don't belong here. So I wasn't sure what was going on. And so what, what transpired? Uh, you and your classmates um, suddenly heard some sounds right outside of your door? Yes. So my classmate and my teaching assistant, they went into the hallway to, to sort of go investigate the unusual sound. And um, when they did that and they were in the hallway, the shooter had come out of another classroom. He shot at them. Thankfully, he missed. Um, and they come back into the classroom they closed the door, and I remember my teaching assistant saying, guns. Mm. There's a man with guns in the hallway. So um, we knew very early on um, in the 10 minutes of shooting that um, there was an active shooter situation. So mm-hmm. we had some time to take action. And so that's kind of the scenario that we're talking about that Michael Yorio is giving us advice on, is when we hear that sound, it's, it's better to assume it is gunfire and to move away from that threat. Um, your teaching assistant, one of your fellow students, went out to investigate, and thankfully they did have time to get back into the classroom, and you all barricaded your door. There were no locks on your door, classroom door that you could lock from the inside? Correct. So there were no doors um, to lock ourselves in. There were no locks on the door to lock ourselves in. 
Um, but luckily, there were also no windows in the interior hallway. The only windows in our classroom were to the exterior outside. So um, with a wooden door and no windows facing the hallway or on the door, um, we were able to build a barricade. So it was another classmate's idea to do the barricade. And so we took um, a desk and a table and we put them up against the door. Mm. And while you all were laying on the floor, pushing the desks and chairs against the door to keep it shut, uh, the shooter began to fire through your door. Yes. So as um, just, I mean, seconds, we were putting this barricade up as soon as we could, and before we knew it, he was at our door um, trying to enter. So it became this um, pushing match with the door, with me and my classmates lying on the floor, um, pushing to keep the door shut, so pushing against this barricade, and then the shooter, you know, just inches away on the other side of the door, um, pushing to get in, as well as shooting through the door. Um, and thankfully, he shot chest height. Mm-hmm. And we were all laying low. So the bullets just went um, through the door and over our head and didn't hit any of us. Mm-hmm. And what, whose idea was that? Was that yours or someone in the classroom to think so quickly to lay on the floor? to, to yeah. push the barricade. None, right, yeah, none of the ideas were mine. Um, I, I give all of this credit to my classmates. You know, my classmate who went into the hallway along with my teacher assistant, another classmate who had the idea to do a barricade, and then it was a fourth classmate who thought we should take the desks and the chairs. So it was really um, a class effort. Mm-hmm. And Michael Yorio, that was really quick thinking. That's the kind of thing that you're... Uh, encouraging folks to think through before they find themselves in a, a tragic, dangerous situation? Very, very quick thinking. And Lisa, I applaud you and your classmates uh, for for responding so quickly and, and doing what you had to do uh, to remain safe. Um, unfortunately, a lot has not changed. Uh, many years after the, the Virginia Tech shooting, as we saw in Ohio State um, about a year ago, and about the same time frame, maybe a little longer at UCLA, uh, as we see from pictures, uh, classrooms did not have door locks in these universities. So students resorted to the same tactics of barricading the door with whatever they had possible, desks, chairs, copying machines, tying doorknobs down uh, with belts and extension cords. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, we would... Uh, encourage administrators and schools and office buildings to have appropriate locks on their doors. Uh, But in the absence of those locks, we do want to do that mental imaging and that what if thinking, what if this were to happen in a a classroom or office uh, where I am, what would I do? And so thankfully, Lisa, you all were able to hold the, the shooter back and he did not enter your classroom, but unfortunately he did enter other classrooms. Yes, that is correct. Um, He attacked five classrooms, and ours was the only one in which he didn't enter, so um, he was able to enter the other four. Mm. Um, And we thought about, you know, because he he came to our room or door multiple times or a couple times, and um, in between those two times, we thought about um, sort of changing our plan. We we knew when, um, based on the volume of the gun sounds, we knew when it was you know, at our door. We knew when it was across the hall or the room next door. We also knew when it was farther away on the other side of the building. And so my classmates and I discussed, you know, what if we um, 
what, like, undo our barricade, and we're the closest ones to the stairwell. Let's run down the stairwell. Um, we also discussed jumping out the windows. Um, what if he came back and our barricade didn't work? Um, but uh, thankfully, we just made our barricade stronger, which um, we lucked out, and it was, it was the right decision for our classroom because um, when he did come back, our um, barricade worked. And we later learned um, that he had chained us in on the second floor of that building, North Hall, So, uh, with, a, with a note on the chains. And it said, if you try to break in, a bomb will go off. And so if we had um, undone our barricade and ran to the stairwell, we would have been chained in and then had to run back into the classroom, redo the barricade. And those are all just priceless seconds that um, would have added up and I think within no time, he would have been back to our side of mm-hmm. the building. So. And so thank God you were able to come to a decision to remain where you were, and that was able to save your lives. Uh, and unfortunately, yeah. some of your other classmates did perish, some of the, your other uh, um, peers, other students at the university. Uh, when law enforcement finally did arrive, uh, they knocked on your classroom door, but you didn't immediately let them in. What was going on in, you, in your heads? Yep. Um, the first time they arrived to our door, um, they were knocking and banging on in it, um, you know, telling us that they were law enforcement. But just like we couldn't see the shooter, we couldn't see that it was law enforcement. And so um, we're running through different scenarios, like what if it's a hostage situation? What if it's the shooter who's now, you know, telling us he's law enforcement? Um, so without being able to see anything, you really don't trust the other person on the other side because the last person you know was um, shooting through your door, and you know that because there were bullets that ended up in your classroom. Mm. So um, the first time they came, we didn't let them in. Um, and unfortunately, we were no longer on the phone with 911 to verify with the dispatcher that it was the police. Um, so we waited and it was about, I don't know, 30, 45 minutes, somewhere around there, they came back. Um, and we made a classroom decision that we were going to open the door. Um, and I remember my classmates saying he was just going to peek a little bit. Hmm. And if it was law enforcement, he was going to you know, open up all the way. And if it was the shooter, he was going to slam the door shut, and we were all going to kind of push back against the barricade. Um, and thankfully it was. Um, law enforcement mm-hmm. there to rescue us. And had to have been the longest, you know, 12 minutes of your life barricading that door and then the ensuing 30, 45 minutes, not sure, is this really law enforcement? I can only imagine just the, the terror and just the courage that you all exhibited as well. Yes, yes. The When we were hearing the gunfire was extremely scary. Um, waiting was scary. And then, you know, opening the door was because it was really, we had nothing to go off of besides someone on the other side of this door telling us that they're the police. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you were using, operating on instinct a lot of times of not sure what choices to make. And it sounds like you came to a consensus as, as a class. Yeah, we um, did, I think, an unbelievably remarkably job, remarkable job um, sort of like talking through the situation um, as hectic and scary and crazy and all the rush of feelings, um, there was a part of us that was able to stay calm just to have those conversations of, okay, what, you know, what could go wrong here? What could go right here? Um, what do we think is the best? 
Um, and it was really a, a class effort. Mm-hmm. Outstanding. Well, I imagine it was hard to be prepared for what you saw outside of your classroom door when you finally did open it to law enforcement, uh, just the yeah. devastation. Yeah, and I hadn't prepared myself for that because um, up until this point before the door opened, everyone in my class was physically safe. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, no one had gotten shot. And so um, I hadn't prepared myself for what I was about to see when that, when that door opened and when we had to be escorted out. Mm. And, Michael, um, you're listening to Lisa's story. I know that um, some survivors of an active shooter incident are really caught off guard by the law enforcement response. Uh, in Lisa's case, they just didn't know what to believe. Uh, but many survivors feel like law enforcement should r- arrive more quickly than they do, or they should tend to the wounded rather than pursuing the assailant. Uh, but what's the reality with, with the law enforcement response in these types of incidents? The reality, and it's often misinterpreted and misconstrued, the reality is law enforcement has a single objective in that scenario, and that objective is to take out the threat. Um, they are not there to help the wounded. They are not there to provide comfort. Um, their very first and only priority is to take out that threat because until they can neutralize that threat, um, they can't help anybody. Mm-hmm. So um, some folks, um, you know, we get different reactions when we talk about this, and some folks think that it's callous and other things. That, oh, that would never happen. It does happen. Um, so the best thing you can do, and this is part of, being properly trained, knowing how to react to law enforcement when they do arrive on the scene, having realistic expectations. And as Lisa experienced, it can take a long, long time before they neutralize that threat and are able to um, uh, attend to the folks there. Mm-hmm. And Lisa and her classmates demonstrated such um, courage and ingenuity uh, to survive uh, with, uh, without, I assume, Lisa, any prior training for active shooter response. No, we didn't have any training. It was all on-the-fly thinking, um, and I really give credit to my classmates because it was all of their ideas. You know, when I think back on those 10, 12 minutes, I feel like such a follower because I wasn't able to come up with any ideas or solutions, but um, when I heard a good one, I knew, mm-hmm. like, barricade, yes, that sounds like a good idea. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Lisa, I always say it only takes one person, one well-trained person to make a difference and save lives. And even if your classmates themselves had no prior training, you see you see how that works. It just takes one or two people who, who um, have a sense of what can be done. And uh, like you said, you know a good idea when you hear one. And so thank God yeah. uh, you all were able to keep yourself safe. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. Mm-hmm. Well, describe the days that followed, Lisa. Uh, what was the response by the campus, the community, friends, family? You walked out of there without being physically injured, as you as you stated. And we know that people lost their lives. There were those who were physically injured. Um, and then there were those who were um, on campus but not near uh, the, the two locations where the shooting took place. Uh, what was the response from the university? How did the community respond in, in your friends and family in the aftermath? Yeah, the response was overwhelming. It was overwhelming from all you know different angles, um, from people who wanted to help, um, from the media, 
and also just internally overwhelmed with my emotions. Uh, the next day and week was filled with, um, there was a candlelight vigil on campus. We had a drill field picnic later that week. Um, there was uh, various moments of silence, uh, you know, special church services, a memorial convocation, which um, President Bush came to with his wife. Um, so overwhelming is just a word that comes to mind when I think of um, the rest of that day and week. Um, but what happens after that week and maybe a few more is that it it quickly dissolves. All those events go away and uh, everyone returns to, you know, appears to return to a normal life, um, especially those that weren't there or maybe they didn't know someone who died. It just didn't impact, um, have that direct impact um, like it did on the survivors and the families that lost loved ones. So um, that's kind of where I... Um, I started to struggle was that returning to normal life and how do I regain a sense of safety when I go into out in public. Mm-hmm. And and you were secretly struggling on the inside. You, you were alive, you survived, you were grateful, uh, but at the same time you went through this horrific uh, traumatizing ordeal and you know that there were many lives lost that day. Uh, you had to feel conflicted and, and experience what we call some survivor's guilt, I would imagine. Yeah, conflicted is a great word for it, Dr. Pegg. Um, so I was a junior um, when the shooting happened, and they ended up at Virginia Tech. They, um, at, for the rest of the semester, there was three, three or four weeks left. They let you kind of pick and choose if you wanted to finish a class out or not, and I didn't finish any of my classes. But I did return for my senior year at Virginia Tech. And um, that year definitely was, was conflicting because all these other seniors is they're going out, they're having a good time. You know, it's your senior year, you're living it up. It's your last one in college. Um, you know, but for me, my senior year was filled with, you know, anxiety when I was in the classroom. So I always had, you know, my eyes on the door all the time mm-hmm. because I learned after the fact that the shooter had, um, he had gone up and down the hallways and he was looking into the classrooms for the rooms with the most people. Mm-hmm. And I missed that unusual behavior. I missed him pacing and walking back and forth. So I thought when I went back to the classroom, you know, I'm going to have my eyes on the door because next time my classmates might not be there for me to protect me and come up with a barricade idea. So I need to, to watch my own back. And I, my ears were always up. So, you know, loud noises, books dropping, anything like that, um, just kind of made my body completely tense up. Um, and then I was just picked my seat strategically based on my escape plan. Hmm. And this was, you know, when I went to class, when I went um, out to eat, when I went to the movies, um, I just, I, I became hypervigilant. So, you know, Michael talks about having a plan and I think I am the biggest advocate about having a plan. But what I did is that I thought about my plan 24 seven to the point that I stopped being present in my everyday life. Mm. And let um, me interrupt you there, so, Lisa, so yeah, we can go, ahead. go to a break. Uh, you, what you're describing sounds like um, signs of post-traumatic stress disorder, and we shouldn't be surprised that you were having those reactions. Yeah. Um, those are definitely signs of PTSD. Yes. Um, but I didn't have all the signs. Right. And so and we'll, we'll, I think we'll, for that reason... Let, let's hear more from you, Lisa, after the break. Sorry to interrupt you. 
Uh, my guest right now, we're talking with Lisa Hamp, who survived the Virginia Tech shooting 10 years ago. And we'll hear more from Lisa about some of those often invisible psychological wounds of those who are physically uninjured, yet still traumatized. I'm also uh, joined by Michael Yorio, president of SSI Guardian, and he'll share some more safety tips and public awareness um, uh, safety tips for us when we return. Stay with us. Schools are increasingly adopting 21st century learning strategies. However, safety largely remains absent from the conversation and fragmented efforts continue allowing for security gaps. Studies show effective learning can only exist when students and teachers feel safe. As the industry leader providing innovative educational solutions for more than 58 years, School Specialty has created the 21st Century Safe School, which aligns next generation learning best practices with proven safety solutions focused on the mental, physical, and emotional well being of every student, teacher, and school employee. From early childhood solutions to advanced training for teachers and administrators, the 21st Century Safe School is the most complete and comprehensive approach available to schools and universities. As a parent, you have every right to demand that your child is afforded the safest environment. Take action today by calling us at 877-878-5800 and learn more about this innovative approach at SSIGuardian.com. Do you ever make changes? But after a few days, weeks, or even months, you slip back into old behaviors and patterns. If you want something different, you've got to do something different. Yet most people won't do what's required to experience the lasting change they say they want. Why? Because change is hard, it's scary, and it comes at a cost. If you're ready for change, join psychologist, author, and transformation specialist, Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark for a one-day Do Something Different for a Change personal transformation retreat. In this intensive yet intimate retreat, you'll learn fundamental principles and strategies for lasting change and transformation and craft a customized plan that you can put into action right away. Dr. Peg's Do Something Different for a Change personal transformation retreat is coming to Denver on Saturday, December 30th. Go to drpegradio.com forward slash retreat to register today. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark. This is Living Well with Dr. Peg. My guests today are Michael Yorio, president of SSI Guardian, and Lisa Hamp, who survived the Virginia Tech shooting and speaks and writes about improving school safety by educating students, teachers, and faculty on what to do before help arrives and encouraging others who have experienced trauma. And you can get in touch with Lisa or Michael through my website, drpegradio.com. And Lisa, thank you so much for sharing this harrowing experience. I'm sure even 10 years later, uh, it, it gets easier, but it's still kind of a, a, a painful thing to have to recall and, and talk about. Yes, it is. But, you know, I've learned that by talking about it, although it's painful, and it's hard. Um, it helps in my recovery, and um, these events um, can be seen as case studies from lots of different angles, from a law enforcement angle, from the survivor angle, from the school angle. And so if everyone looks at this from their involvement, we can take a lot of um, lessons learned from it um, to help people prepare. So it's hard, but I think um, a lot of good can come out of it. Well, thank you, and we appreciate that. And, and Michael Yorio with SSI Guardian, um, you, you take stories like Lisa's, and it helps to improve the training that you offer folks to help them stay safe. 
Absolutely, it does, Dr. Pig. And um, one thing folks should look for when they're evaluating training programs, are they based on best practices and are they uh, tailored to realistic incidents um, versus theories? Mm-hmm. And so, so we... I have a quick question, if I may, for Please. Lisa, mm-hmm. if you don't mind. Um, Lisa, there's an attitude out there and a mindset, I will call it, uh, among schools and businesses that it can never happen here because we have a great community and great kids and parents and workers. I mean, what would your advice be in your response to someone who may have that mindset thinking it could never happen to them? Yeah, that is a very common mindset. Um, You know, us at Virginia Tech, we had that mindset. You know, not in our community. Um, If you know anything about Virginia Tech and where it is, it's in a really small town. Um, You know, the population of the campus is 30,000 of the students and faculty and the town is 40,000. So the campus is the town, the town is the campus and everyone, you know, just feels safe everywhere walking around. Um, And I have friends um, who've been impacted by Sandy Hook and Columbine and everyone says that same thing, you know, not in my town or not at my school. And um, I would just ask them to take a real honest look at their safety plans. And, you know, Do a a mental exercise where you make yourself the intruder. And would you be able to enter that school or um, that area and and how and poke holes in your safety plan? Because when you do that, you'll you'll recognize where the gaps are, and then you can take action to close them. But um, it's a really difficult thing to do to say, you know, my school is vulnerable. Um, Our safety plan has gaps in it. Um, You know, no one wants no parent. I recently became a parent a year ago, and no parent wants to send their child to a school, you know, that that's acknowledging their safety plans weak. And so um, I think that ends up doing more harm than good and just taking an honest look at your safety plan. Right, and putting, putting your head in the sand doesn't fix those holes, does it, Michael? Right. It certainly does not. At least you make some outstanding points, and I can tell you from personal and professional experience that there is no facility on the planet that is 100% impenetrable. So as safe as we may think we are, um, there's bad people find ways to do bad things. So you always have to assume that it can happen there. Mm-hmm. Well, Lisa, I, I want to talk a little bit more about uh, your experience as a, a physically uninjured survivor, uh, because when we look at Incidents like Las Vegas and New York City, where there was there was a loss of life, and um, we pray for for those loved ones of those who who were lost and those who were injured. And there are so many folks as well who were affected by the incident but were physically uninjured. Uh, talk about your experience in that category and um, the, the ways in which this trauma impacted you psychologically. Yes. Um, I mean, you hit it right on the spot. There's just so, after these events, there's so many people experiencing so much pain. So as a physically uninjured survivor, I felt like, you know, I had lucked out. Um, I had walked out alive. I really just needed to be happy about that and that I needed to minimize the effect that the shooting had had on me and sort of make myself quiet and small because um, these resources, they need to go to the ones who lost loved ones and the physically injured. And what I've since learned is that you need resources too. And just because you don't have, um, you know, scars on your body physically to show that you've been wounded, um, you've been, 
you've been impacted mentally and that you um, you do need resources. But let me tell you, Dr. Peg, it, it feels so extremely selfish to say, you know, I need resources too mm. when you know that, you know, moms and dads no longer have kids and some people may not be able to walk again. So right. it's a really hard thing to do to find that space and say, you know, I need help too. Right. And I, I think you bring out, out the conflict, you know, it, it's quite apparent what the conflict is. But one of the reasons I do my show is to educate people about uh, psychological matters and how there's this artificial division between our physical health and our mental health. And because you didn't lose a limb, you're you're not in pain and you haven't been traumatized. That's that's not accurate. And so while, of course, I, I appreciate what you're saying about loss of life and loss of limbs, uh, we have to also acknowledge uh, the the trauma that's, um, that someone experiences who was physically uninjured. And so we thank you for speaking out on that platform. That's something that you've been doing in the last 10 years. Um, went, so you were able to seek counseling and you were able to get help and um, you were able to access resources over time. Uh, but was that an easy process for you? Um, no, it was not very smooth. Um, so I ended up uh, eight years later after the Virginia Tech shooting, I sought counseling for an eating disorder. And what had happened when I, after go, attending the counseling, um, I learned that... Um, you know, the Virginia Tech incident triggered the eating disorder, that I, I may have been right for it before, but I hadn't had anything in my life that um, made me that uncomfortable and not really know how, what to do and how to handle it. And so um, that the Virginia Tech incident, it triggers the eating disorder, and it kind of just slowly develops. And um, I used it because I didn't know how to deal with those PTSD symptoms that I was having. Uh, and so I go to helpful counseling and I start talking about um, the Virginia Tech shooting and it's just, it felt so good because I had bottled up the fear and the anxiety and the sadness and the guilt. Um, and I finally started talking about it years later. Um, and then, you know, a couple months later, I was recovering from my eating disorder just by talking about the shooting. Hmm. So it, it was all connected and, again, just shows how ignoring and minimizing and repressing uh, the trauma that you did experience didn't make it go away. And so getting counseling, seeking professional help, uh, even all those years later made a difference. And certainly we want to encourage folks. Um, it's normal to experience um, different changes in your behavior and, and your physical body after a, a tragic and traumatic event. And those symptoms usually subside after a week or two, and it's when they persist for several weeks and months or they become very intense and severe that we should um, seek professional intervention. And so even all those years later, it really did make a difference. It was important for you. Yeah, and I had never been to counseling before the Virginia Tech incident, so I wasn't aware with how it worked. Like, I wasn't aware that you didn't, like, you had to show up physically, but you also needed to show up mentally. Um, I didn't think I needed to be honest with my count. Like in the beginning when I went immediate, the first year after the shooting, um, you know, I wasn't honest with my counselor about my eating habits. I didn't understand how they could be related to the shooting. So I thought I didn't need to share that with her. Um, I didn't understand that you have to click with your counselor. So it took me three counselors till I found one that was helpful. Um, and you're at a point where you have such low self-confidence and you think the counseling not 
not working because it's you, kind of like in the relationship when they say, you know, it's not you, it's me. So you feel like that when you go to the counseling and it's not working. You feel like it must it must be me. Um, but that, that's a really trusting your counselor and um, being compatible with them are critical um, to having helpful counseling mm-hmm. and successful counseling. Great. And thank you for sharing your experiences. Uh, listeners, I'm speaking with Lisa Hamp, and she is a survivor of the Virginia Tech shooting. I also have on the line Michael Yorio, who's president of SSI Guardian, and they offer full-service safety and security uh, services and consulting and products. And you can join our conversation today by calling 303-477-5600. If you have a question for Lisa Hamp or Michael Yorio about surviving an active shooter incident or active terror, how to cope with the psychological wounds that are associated with trauma, give us a call, 303 303- 477-5600. Now, Lisa, I live here in Colorado, and when many people think of Colorado, they think of Columbine or the Aurora Theater. Uh, it's hard to be associated with a tragedy. Um, how has that been for you and your university? Uh, I'm introducing you as you know, Lisa Hamp, who survived Virginia Tech. And, um, you know, the name Virginia Tech is synonymous with campus shooting. What's that been like for you? Yeah, um, it's it's interesting because you don't, you get, I guess part of you just gets used to it. You know, that tragedy is something that I'm a, it's a part of me, and I don't have, you know, physical scars, but I have mental scars, and, and that's not going to go away, but that's okay. You know, I don't think I want to ignore that part um, because it is a part of my experiences and who I am. Well, thank you so much for being willing to, to talk about this because, as you shared, there are so many lessons we can learn. We can look at each of these uh, incidents and uh, see how um, things transpired and see where, as you said, there might be holes in a in a, um, a security plan at a school or at an institution, and we can imp- make improvements so that people can be safer. Um, Michael Yorio, uh, your expertise is in safety and security. Uh, talk about planning and preparedness for uh, workplaces, for concert venues, um, parks and, and bicycle paths, um, hospitals, K-12. What are the things uh, that we need to be thinking about before we experience a threat like the kinds that we've been talking about and have experienced uh, in New York and here in the Denver area and just in the last few days? Planning is at the forefront of any effective security initiative, which entails many moving parts working in synergy. Um, But it truly all starts with planning. If you don't have a plan, um, you could spend a fortune on technology and and security-type products that you think are making you safer. But if you don't know how to use those products, if you don't understand your facility's gaps, if you don't know how to react in a violent threat, Um, your chances of survivability will be greatly decreased. So there are many things that folks can do, organizations can do, schools can do, starting with planning. Basing your plan, um, incorporating the expertise of security professionals. Um, Don't be afraid not to know about this stuff because, quite candidly, uh, if you're not an experienced security professional, there is no way you would ever know about these things. Um, They're not hard to grasp. Uh, It's about gaining a baseline understanding of things such as I mentioned, situational awareness, planning, preparedness, 
And then after your planning, followed up by professional training. And then after the training, practicing the training and practicing your plan. So when you need to utilize and rely on your training, it's going to be there for you, meaning your body's going to be there for you, muscle memory. Uh, where a lot of folks make a critical and, and sometimes fatal mistake, they will develop a plan that is not based on best practices. They will not share the plan with their team, with staff, employees, etc. So when something bad happens, nobody is really prepared. And even the best plans, if they are not practiced, uh, they will be of little value in the time of need. Keeping in mind, these threats, these incidents are unannounced. They, they catch you off guard. You have to make split-second decisions. Um, panic sets in with a lot of folks. Even if you're trained, no one truly knows how they will react in a life-threatening situation until they're actually in that situation. So one of the biggest things I can stress, uh, Dr. Peggy, uh, to the, all the listeners, is start with a professional plan based on best practice, provide training, and then practice your plan implementation and practice your training. And you always want to look for your gaps. And to be honest, um, don't rely on your internal staff, so to speak, to do your security assessment. You have to have unbiased outside eyes who have been trained to look at your facility and come back to you with recommendations on how to improve the overall safety and security of that facility. Because whether you're a, a school administrator or a corporate leader, your number one responsibility is the safety and welfare of your students, of your employees, and your visitors. Absolutely. That's excellent advice and guidance and recommendations. Michael Yorio, president of SSI Guardian. Uh, Lisa Hamp, thank you so much for sharing your story of survival and courage. Um, at Virginia Tech 10 years ago. We thank God for uh, the quick thinking um, wit of, of your classmates. And we know that uh, through that tragedy, we can learn more about how to stay safe in the future. Lisa Hamp, Michael Yorio, thanks so much for being my guest today. Thank you both. Lisa, good luck. Thank you, Dr. Bag. Listeners, remember to register for my Do Something Different for Change personal transformation retreat. Go to drpegradio.com. I'm Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark, reminding you to live well. We hope you've enjoyed this presentation of Living Well with Dr. Peg. For more information or to contact Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark about her mental health or consulting services, please visit her webpage at drpegradio.com.